Two scripture readings this morning, the first one from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and the second from 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 12, starting with Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you, the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. From 1 Timothy 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Are the overseers to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Brief prayer. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you commanded. Amen. On January 5th, which is a few weeks ago now, we began a new sermon series beginning to look at another of Paul's letters given to us in the New Testament. And so we began to look at Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, which if you remember from our Acts study was the, the Roman colony that had a church planted during the second missionary journey where Paul and Silas and Timothy went at the response of a vision of a Macedonian man and the conversion of Lydia takes place, the conversion of the Philippian jailer, and and now a whole church has been established and Paul is writing a letter to them later on in his life while he is under house arrest. So Philippians is often considered one of Paul's prison letters. Though it's been quite some time since he has seen the congregation in Philippi, we can see from the opening chapter that he still has great thanksgiving over them. 
He rejoices over them and he prays for them. And in the midst of this prayer, we are reminded about two important things about the church here in chapter 1. We already looked at the fact that Paul reminds the church of, of their nature, of who they have become. They are holy in Christ. They are those who have been called by God and they will be those that God will keep his promises to. In the meantime, they are called to live in a particular way, to grow in fruitfulness, to grow in faithfulness until that day of Christ Jesus when they taste the fullness of the gospel. So important truths about who the church has become. But as I said last time, there's another important truth that we're reminded about here regarding the design of the church. Perhaps not as obvious as the nature, but it's still an important issue to look at. And so I invite you to look at Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul doesn't just greet the church, those who are holy in Christ, but as it goes on, he also greets two groups of people known as overseers and deacons. And so if we understand the New Testament and we're familiar with the New Testament, automatically we are reminded here in even 1 Timothy 3 this morning that those particular people are the offices of leadership given by God to the local congregation for the care of the congregation. See, the New Testament teaches, and we looked at one passage this morning, that God gives the local congregation who have become one in Christ Jesus leadership, overseers and deacons. And every church to be operating in God's design as they head towards that day where Christ will be faithful to complete his work Part of the growing, part of the transformation is to have that leadership in every congregation. And so you may say, well, important reminder, let's move on. Well, no. We're actually going to spend three weeks looking at this particular topic. Because when it comes to church leadership, or even when it comes to being part of the church, period, what it means to be a church member... There's often a great confusion as to what that design looks like. When I went through the ordination process this past year and I was talking with some pastors, even from the convention here in the Ottawa area, we talked about how one of the great challenges regarding church is the failure to understand the design of the church as revealed in the scriptures. There's often confusion about this, and particularly when it comes to the leadership of the church. And so we're going to look at this And as we do this, we have to consider the ultimate source. If we're going to talk about church leadership, where do we look? Well, there's only one answer. The Bible. The written authoritative word of God. It's important to note because it's not based on what we've been taught. It's not based even on a church constitution. Is based on what does the word of God say. And if we're reminded about last week when John outlaid the nature of scripture. If this is the authoritative written word of God given to us. Then this is God's will. And if we're going to be fruitful, faithful disciples. Then this must be the source which we alone yield to. So we're going to talk about this the scriptural understanding of the overseers and deacons and the leadership that God has given to the church. First of all, when it comes to overseers and deacons, it's important to note that these are two distinct offices. 
They are distinct. They are not overseers and deacons at the same time. There is a distinction. In 1 Timothy 3, the passage we read this morning, the first six verses address the office of the overseer. While the latter section in verse 23 addresses the office of the deacon. So they are not the same office. And as we're going to go into the scriptures, we're going to see they don't have the same responsibilities. And so if they're not the same office, they're not the same responsibilities, they don't have the same qualifications, that means, church, they can't be the same people. They can't be the same people. And why do I say that? Because sometimes, and it's just a reality, I'm not pointing fingers at any church or anything, but sometimes, even in a smaller congregation, those distinct roles are not acknowledged. They can be blended, especially in Baptist churches. And that's one of the issues, even in the convention with many pastors talking about how there has been a blending of roles and the distinctions has not been acknowledged. The further thing is sometimes the, the terms are used interchangeably. Sometimes the overseers are called deacons, which isn't in line with what the scriptures teach. And so the whole purpose of this study for the health of leadership and the health of the congregation is to remind us what the Bible teaches. So the first thing is they are distinct offices. They are not the same responsibilities. They're not the same qualifications. They're not the same people. God has said and revealed through his word that every local congregation is to have overseers and deacons. So, then, considering the offices and the order that is given. First of all, the office of the overseer. Some things to explain as we begin. Terminology-wise, look at 1 Peter and Timothy and Acts and Ephesians. You'll see the phrase not only overseer, but you'll see the phrase elder. Two times in the New Testament, you will see the term pastor. It is important to know that when you look at those texts in Ephesians and 1 Peter and Timothy and Titus, that it is not referring to different offices, but the overseer is an elder, and an elder is a pastor. The same terms referring to the same office. Sometimes it can be said that pastors and elders are different. Scripturally, that's not the case. Elders are pastors. Pastors are overseers. And so it's important to understand that terminology. The second thing about it is that they are a necessity in the church. Titus 1 verse 6, Titus was entrusted by Paul to go to the island of Crete and to do something that needed to happen for that particular church to be complete. What were his instructions? I was appointed to go and to appoint elders in every city to finish what was not yet completed. The Bible teaches that they must have elders. That's why even Acts Missionary Journeys with Paul, he's going around in Acts 14, appointing elders over the congregations that have come about. And that's important to be reminded about, church. This is not just a suggestion. It's a matter of necessity to have elders. Pastors. Overseers. Do you realize that a local congregation biblically, is not just a bunch of believers gathering in one place. 
It is a bunch of believers gathering in one place under the leadership of elders. That is a biblical church. Titus had to do this. Timothy and his epistles are appointed to do this. And so it is important for every church. So the terminology considered, the necessity considered. The next question is, if overseers and elders and pastors are important for the church, well then how many? How many do you need? Well, there's perhaps some suggestion that some churches may have had one elder. In John's epistles, John is greeted as the elder. However, if you look at Acts 14, 20, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus, all scriptures given to you on your sermon sheets, it is clear that the ideal design is that it would be elders. Plurality. Not just one, but as John Piper notes in his book on biblical leadership, a local congregation biblically is to have a team of elders working together, helping one another, keep one another accountable to the task of eldership. So every local congregation appointed by God is to have elders, overseers, pastors. It's not a matter of Maybe we should have it. It's a matter of necessity. A church is incomplete without it. The next thing to be reminded is that the ideal number is plurality. So those are a few things just to introduce. But the main thing is, what are the responsibilities? Offices of leadership. Elders, pastors, overseers. There's a group of them working together. Well, what do they do? Well, the first thing, if we look at the New Testament, from 1 Peter 5, Titus 1, verse 6, 1 Timothy 3, which we read this morning, we see the reality of teaching being associated with their responsibility. Elders, overseers, and pastors are entrusted by God to teach, to be the chief teachers of the local congregation. Now, there's different forms of teaching in the scripture. One form you may do on a regular basis, you're not even realizing it is a form of teaching. And that's evangelism. Sharing the gospel with one another. Going into the coffee shop, going into your workplace and telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. That is a form of teaching. Another form of teaching which we see in Colossians is the reality of exhortation. To encourage and to remind one another of the truth of the gospel. And this morning, whether you realize that or not, we were doing that as we were singing. As we were singing the greatness of God, we were encouraging one another of who he is and what he has done through Christ. Another form of teaching is prophecy, which is to speak God's promises and God's word into situations. If you're in a a doctor's office and you've got bad news and someone comes in, a brother or sister in Christ, and begins to speak God's promises into your life, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. That is a form of teaching. But when it comes to the task of eldership or pastoring, there's another form of teaching, which is what is associated with with their office. And that is the explanation or preaching of the scriptures. God has given the church the gift of the word of God. It is inspired. But one of the gifts that's given to the church is the office of elder and pastor and overseer 
who then served the church by being the chief teachers and explainers of the word of God that is given. And part of the responsibility as those who teach and are the chief teachers of the congregation is to oversee the teaching that's taking place in the congregation. To oversee, to make sure that what is being said, what is being practiced, is actually in line with the gospel. You can read the New Testament. Paul, on many times, warns of dangerous teaching, false teaching. And so one of the responsibilities of elders and pastors and overseers is to make sure that what is being taught here from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, that what's being taught downstairs in the Bible study, that what's being taught at a membership thing is in line with the Word of God. They've been entrusted by God to do that, to be those who feed the flock. Now, 1 Timothy 5.17 says something interesting. 1 Timothy 5.17 Honor those elders who rule over you, especially those who teach. Well, I thought we just said that all elders are responsible for the overseeing of the teaching of the church. What does Paul say now when he says, especially those who teach? What What does that mean? Well, he's reminding us of the fact that in those group of elders who are serving together, overseeing the teaching of the church to make sure what's being taught is faithful, to make sure the gospel presentation is faithful and being upheld, there will be elders on that team who won't just oversee the teaching, but who actually will be the ones carrying it out as the church gathers. In the group of elders who oversee the teaching, there will be those who actually are responsible for preaching the word of God. Not all elders will be behind the pulpit. Not all elders will be leading Bible study. There will be those who will be gifted with the gift of preaching who will come and teach and feed. When churches are looking for a pastor... When the pastoral search committee begins, they are looking for not just an elder or an overseer or another pastor. They are looking for one in particular who is not just an overseer of the teaching, but who is one who actually is carrying it out. Who will preach on a Sunday morning, who will go to the Bible study and lead the congregation. They are looking for that particular form of elder. And so it's important to be reminded about when it comes to this teaching, there is a team of elders, plurality. Overseeing the teaching, but among them, there must be at least one with the gift of preaching who can teach and open the scriptures. Any church that does not have that is not operating within God's design given in the New Testament. Not only is it dangerous to not have elders overseeing the teaching, but it's not in line with the word of God. That's why it says pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, because they are teaching and handling the word of God. I don't take this lightly at all this morning. Preaching and opening a book, I don't ever think there's a moment where you can wing a sermon. Because the responsibility given. So elders teaching and governing, and of course, once again, that comes from 1 Peter Titus 1, verse 6. 
passages which are listed for you to consider and see for yourself what the scriptures teach. So teaching. But one more aspect. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 says, The elders rule over you. 1 Timothy 3, to watch over, be an overseer. 1 Peter 5, verse 2, to watch over. So the reality there is not just being the chief teachers of the congregation, but to govern and rule and watch over the congregation, to lead the congregation deeper into the path and will of God as God leads them. Acts 20, the Apostle Paul gives these instructions to the elders in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the responsibility is to be the overseer, to guide, to direct, to lead. And it's not because they themselves have the authority on their own merit. What does it say there? Who has put them in charge? The Holy Spirit, God, has made them overseers. To lead and to guide and to direct, not based on what they want or what is their own understanding, but under the direction of God, who is the head shepherd. And so every congregation not only has elders and overseers and, and pastors who look over the teaching and some of them who actually preach it to us, but ultimately for directing and guiding the church under the direction of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to lead deeper into fruitfulness and discipleship. Congregational churches sometimes can be in danger of everyone steering the ship. Biblically, elders are to be the ones under the authority of God who lead and direct and govern in that manner. So the next question is, well then, what is the responsibility of watching over and governing? Well, there's an eternal aspect. Verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Part of the governing is looking after the young sheep Making sure what's in line is in line with the scriptures, that practices are in line with the scriptures, that no one is, is deliberately and willingly living in sin and tearing apart the church. That's the responsibility. And so part of the responsibility of eldership that no one likes to talk about, that everyone wants to throw out the window and it breaks churches apart, is the reality of discipline. I don't like discipline. I don't want to be a part of a church of discipline. It's get, knock, knock, knock. Can I play somewhere else? It's a healthy thing as part of eldership. The other thing is external, not just internal, but external. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Being on guard of what's coming into the church, what teaching, what practices, what behavior. And then being appointed by the living God to confront and to correct and to deal with. 
Paul's saying to these elders, do not forget your task. Teaching and governing and directing. So then what's the responsibility of the congregation to the elders? Those who God has placed over them to teach and to govern. Well, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. How do we know that Paul has elders in mind here? Because of how it continues to go on. For they are keeping watch over your souls. So the response that Christ calls and that the Lord calls from the congregations to those whom he has placed as elders over them is to be submissive to their leadership. In a culture of individualism in North America, let me tell you, that may make people uncomfortable. but it's a responsibility that is given to the church. And just when you think, oh, elders, they must can do whatever they want. Uh, they can push any agenda they want. Well, let's keep reading. As those who will give an account. To who? The church? Just don't get a haircut. I'm telling you this morning, what is the weight that is always upon my shoulder is not whether or not you like me. It's not whether or not you agree with me. The weight on my shoulder as an elder is that one day I will stand before the living God of heaven and earth and give account for every message, every decision, every leadership thing that ever took place. That is to whom you will give account. So church, remember, as you submit to your leaders, oh, would you pray for them? Because one day, they're not answering to a congregational meeting. They're answering to the very one who has entrusted them. And every mistake, every failure, they're accountable to God. Therefore, pray. I know some pastors right now who are going through absolute hardship. Pray. Paul, and the author of Hebrews, clearly knows that it's not always easy to submit to eldership because he goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Obey here is actually the same word that is used in Ephesians and Colossians for children, obey your parents. So here's the next question. Okay, my responsibility is to be submissive to these leaders, to the, their teaching, to this governing as they lead and govern under the direction of the holy gods of whom they will give an account. Then does that just mean that I have blind obedience? That doesn't mean that I just say yes, sure. Well, no. And the scriptures are clear on that. You are ultimately accountable to 
God yourself into the authority and truth of the scriptures. And so congregational meetings, like later on today, they're not just an opportunity to learn of the decision made by the elders or leadership to submit to and to affirm, but ultimately they are opportunities to keep them accountable. If they are doing something that is not in line with the word of God or not practicing what is truth in the scripture, then you are to keep them accountable. And if they don't repent, then you are to remove them. But biblically, if it is in line with the truth and it's not contrary to what they've said, God has said, then God says to submit. There is structure. There is order. When I went to my mom when I was young and said, I don't think so, I was quickly reminded that I, I, I should think so. And that structure carries over into the church. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Why are you saying that? Well, it's the scriptures. We live in a culture which is so anti-structure that sometimes it's just thrown out altogether. God's saying this is the design. So what are some examples of eldership responsibility then that leadership takes on? Well, as those who are the official teachers and governors of the church, issues such as membership, who's in, who agrees with the teaching of the church, disciplinary matters, when the church is, people are not repenting, they've been approached by others and it's causing havoc in the church, part of that eternal governing is to carry out church discipline. Baptisms, pastoral communication with the head office of denominations, constitutional issues, these are all part of eldership and leaders governing and directing while the church, faithful to the scriptures, seeks to keep them accountable and prays for them. So that's elder. If that's pastoring, if that's overseeing, to be the chief teachers, some of those who will be preaching regularly and governing and directing under the Holy Spirit who has made them overseers. And the next office to consider is deep. They're distinct. It's not the same. We know that because Paul treats them differently. There's different qualifications, there's different responsibilities, but what are deacons? Biblically, well, the word deacon actually means servant. Now, we are all called to be servants of one another. But what does the office of deacon mean? Well, we know they're not elders, we know they're not the chief teachers, we know they're not involved in the ultimate governing of the, of the flock. But we know from Acts 6, verses 1 to 6, that the the official office of the servants comes forth because of God's grace's provision to them. See, the church in the early days, they were leading, the church was growing, but needs and issues began to arise. Issues besides just teaching and governing. And so we see the widows who needed to be cared for in Acts 6. And so 
the response from the elders was that an office of servants had to be appointed to help carry out these leadership tasks and these things which arise that that would enable the elders to continue to be faithful to the preaching of God's word and prayer. I've learned very quickly in ministry that there are lots of things on the table, but can't be involved in every one. And so the office of deacon, servants, is an office given by God to the church to work alongside those who are responsible for the teaching, responsible for the governing, to help carry out leadership tasks that enable the elders to stay focused on their task given by God. John Piper, the deacon office, exists to assist the elders by relieving them of distractions and pressures that would divert them from the task of eldership. The preaching of the word, prayer, and governing of the church. I just want to remind you as you pray for pastors, elders, overseers, that what you are hearing this morning is not something which is just done in 20 minutes. Studying of God's word is a vocation. It is a calling. It is a lots of work. It's lots of wrestling. It's lots of the enemy knocking at the door. It's lots of those things. And it is time-consuming, but a labor that they are called to. And so deacons come alongside and help those who are doing that by carrying on leadership tasks to enable them to carry on that labor gifted by the power of God. What are examples of this office of servants, office of deacons? What do they do? Well, we see them in Acts 6, caring for the widows. We see them doing acts of benevolence, hospitality, caring for the fellowship of the church. In Romans 16, Paul greets Phoebe as a deacon, one who helped him many times. And church records show that he helped deliver let- she helped deliver letters that he had written. So benevolence, fellowship, administration. Pastor Paul Carter, a fellow convention pastor from Aurelia, says that any other leadership task or responsibility that is not the ultimate teaching of the church or the ultimate governing is one which could be carried out by the office of deacons. And so here we've had deacons graciously and with great passion and faithfulness plan fellowship dinners and events and minister benevolence a, a deacon care system where they're calling and praying with people to af- offer hospitality and are there any prayer issues are there any teaching issues that need to come to my attention that's the the way in which they serve and assist in many ways even here within what the scriptures teach on deacons so once again, the design of the church is that God has given two leadership offices to every local congregation. If you ever find yourself in a place called a church, local congregation, that believes to be a local congregation, and there is not the presence of elders or deacons, scripturally note that you are not in a church that is operating under the design of God. Elders and deacons, distinct roles. Now this is a teaching that I began back in August with the deacon board itself. And one of the questions that we had to ask and that I asked us, all of us, was when we look at the scriptural teaching of elders and deacons and their responsibilities, 
The next thing you have to do if you're going to listen to the word of God is ask yourself what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. To examine yourselves to see if you're walking in the faith. Part of the responsibility of leadership is, is to remind ourselves of the word of God, of what is being taught, and then ask ourselves, with the prayer of the Holy Spirit leading us, with his word being the guide and revelation, is this what we are doing? You have an elder, pastor, a preaching elder, in myself, but even in the cases of the way that we have operated with one another, those roles of deacon and eldership has been blended. For de- the deacons aren't just assisting, but are involved in membership, are involved in, in governing and discipline and all these things. And so one of the things scripturally, and it's, it's change, it's, it's part of, of, of being corrected by the scriptures and learning and growing, myself included, is that if we're going to walk in God's design as it's revealed in the New Testament, then the offices of elders and deacons have to be distinguished and respected with different responsibilities, working together as a team with those responsibilities. And that's not my agenda. That's not my personal opinion. What I'm preaching to you this morning is from the Word of God. And I've given you those scriptures so you can go home and read them yourselves and see what God says. And so for the implementation of elders and deacons here even in the congregation and not blending them, obviously that's not a quick fix. We're not going to go downstairs this morning and and do that. There's things that have to take place. Scripturally, there's things that have to take place. And I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. If the scriptures reveal and teach to us the design of the church, as faithful disciples, would we want to do nothing else but walk in the truth? And so part of that is considering not only the role of elders and deacons that we've talked about this morning and the different responsibilities. Paul gives a great explanation of that. But even here in 1 Timothy 3, what we've read is Paul is not just concerned about the fact that these offices are distinct and, and doing separate roles. The next thing that's part of this implementing is who should do that? Who should do that? And so we're going to begin to look at that next week because, once again, the scriptures are the source. And so I encourage you to go to study the word of God, to look at these passages because this is what is revealed to us. And so we've looked at elders and deacons, and we'll continue to look at who then qualifies scripturally to be those leaders next week. Let's pray. Lord, we ask, as we sit under your word, that you would guide us into the truth. You guide us into your design. You you lead us with your word. We thank you for the design of the church. We thank you for the gift of leadership. 
the responsibility of leadership. We pray that you would help us walk in according with your design. We pray for an understanding of the office of elder that you've given to the church, the office of deacon. We pray for it to be a beautiful teamwork and care for the church. So continue to give us instruction these next few weeks. Help us understand these distinct but important roles. And may the health of this church, may the fruitfulness and the discipleship that you desire abound more and more in our midst, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.